WATD presents Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. You're good at what you do, too. She is Natalie Jacobson. You are the dean of South Shore Broadcasters. Putting the South Shore spin on politics, current events, and pop culture. Best-selling author, Dave Wedge. you got to say that. I'm sorry. Thank, huh? Thank you, Mayor. Yes. Thank you. <laughs> Wonderful to be here. Kevin's been a long time. Thanks for all you do. All you, you know, your local news icon. We appreciate it. Kathy's doing a great job at this. And I've decided she's jelly. I gotta be peanut butter. There was a debate about it. There was a debate about that. There was a debate. You fine with jelly? I'm fine with jelly. Good. Jelly spikes my sugars. Good evening and welcome to Monday Night Talk. As you know, I am not Kevin Tachi, and I'm going to be your host for the first hour with Massachusetts State Auditor Diana DeZaglio. Welcome back to Monday Night Talk. It's great to be back. Thanks so much for having me, Kevin. Jermaine Wiggins member of the 2001 Super Bowl champion New England Patriots. Welcome to Monday Night Talk. Oh, thank you for having me. Anytime. Not just economic development, but it's how to get the businesses involved. Senator, I want to thank you. Thank you, Kevin. I appreciate you being a, a voice bringing so much community news to uh, to folks here on the South Shore. And now, your host, Kevin Tachi. Welcome and good evening. You are tuned into another evening of Monday Night Talk. My name is Kevin Tachi, and I will be uh, your bus driver for the next two hours as we provide great conversation from 6.15 until 8 p.m. every Monday night. been doing it for nearly 15 years. I think so. I think this is my first time on the air, Kevin, since you've refreshed the intro. And I note I did not make the cut. But if you've listened to past shows, see, I listen to your shows. Yes. I don't. I don't. I don't comment on anything that you, that you may say because sometimes <laughs> I don't. I don't listen to the whole show because I get distracted by other things. Right. Because that's that's how I am. I get distracted easily. But I think I've told you we've had the conversation off air that there's going to be very. They're going to be. Instead of just keeping the same. Multiple versions. It's going to be multiple okay. versions. Like Fast and Furious. I mean, aren't they on like Fast and Furious 17 or Yeah, I don't even right understand now? how the premise of that movie could like, extend like, beyond like one. Like Vin, Di- Vin Diesel's kids now are starring right. it. It's like it's, it, it's, <laughs> exactly. it's, it's to that level, okay? Exactly. And there's still a feud going on with Rock's kids, you know, Dwayne Johnson's kids. Yeah, that's right, right. And yeah. you know, John Cena's kids are somehow involved in it. it anyways, so. The voice you just heard. He's supposed to be warming up the bullpen, but he wanted to chime in. That is, he's our very first. I just can't wait. It's the county report with your chairman from the Plymouth County Commissioners, Jared Valenzuela. Also uh, has his own show, the JV Team, every Wednesday night from 6.15 to 7 o'clock with his uh, Corey Welch, one of his prime sponsors, uh, Boom Realty. Yes. Cheeseburger Tom and... Whole gang of folks that you have. Yeah, I you know I love Tom. I just still don't understand the cheeseburger play. He walked in smelling like a cheeseburger. Where, you know, and then and then in the break he's like, oh, I still have one in my pocket. I'm like why? Why? Mayor McCheese, he is not. Anyways, yes. so Jared will be up. We'll kind of not only kind of get a, a little bit of a, a, an idea of what's going on, but give him an opportunity to kind of talk about he's he is running for reelection. So I'm going to give him an opportunity to talk about that. Uh, you know, what What does he feel is ahead of me? Being the incumbent is a little bit better than being someone who is trying to run for the seat. So we'll talk with him about that. Following him is someone who was previously on the county commissioners. That is one Dan Pallotta. And he will be joining us uh, to talk a little bit. He is actually uh, Brockton's point person when it comes to their ARPA projects. Yeah. So we, I thought I would have him on to kind of talk a little bit about that. Our number two. 
I just uh, want to note you have me in the prime slot. You have him sort of in the, you know, not his prime slot. You know, he's sort of in the backup slot. The, you know, people are dropping off after my segment slot. You know, he's he's not that people drop off on your show, Kevin, but. I'm obviously just doing this to rib no, you, my predecessor in in good fun with Mr. Uh, with Commissioner Pallada. Commissioner Pallada, who is who currently resides out in the western part of the state. Yeah, I've, you know, I've been out there. <clears throat> He's got a beautiful home. Um, you know, a lot of you know, I, I tease obviously, but I think a lot of what individually I've been able to do as a commissioner, but collectively what we've been able to do as a county, mm. uh, the foundation. Uh, of what we've been doing at least these first three years of my first term, uh, we really owe it a lot to Dan Pilata. So, um, well, you, know, you can you can continue your ode in a moment. Yes, let's finish through. I want to get let me get through some of the folks who are going to be on. We got Florence and Romano. A couple of weeks ago, uh, Congress had a few of the uh, the the prime individuals who oversee stuff like Meta and X. I wanted to find out about what they're doing in regards to child exploitation. Love watching through those, those hearings. Through those, through those particular hearings and, and get her take on what's going on when it comes to social media and protecting our children. Speaking of children, not sure if you paid attention as to what's going on with the Brockton Public School System. Uh, many things have been happening since the beginning of the school year. Uh, issues with the fiscal 24 budget, fiscal 23 budget. And it could bleed into fiscal 25. We're going to be speaking with some of the uh, the key folks who do collective bargaining. They are uh, Kim Gibson, who is the president of the BEA, Brockton Education Association. Stacy McDonald, president of BEPSA. Joe Campbell, who is uh, the president of the Independent Brockton Admin Assistance and Technical Employee Association. We're going to talk with them, as you know. There's been a lot of reports in regards to fighting in schools. They've asked for the uh, the uh, the National Guard to come in and restore order and even uh, be hall monitors and stuff like that. I want to get to the nuts and bolts of this by talking with them because they're concerned and the individuals that they represent are are a key ingredient as to how the Brockton public school system goes, the teachers, the people who do some of the other work that assist the students and the teachers, as well as... Uh, some of the technical things that go on in the school. So that's all coming up. But now we turn our focus to Plymouth County government. How are things going with uh, Plymouth County these days? Things are great, Kevin. You know, we um, we are uh, have our advisory board meeting this week, um, you know, to do some budget transfers uh, in fiscal 23. You know, our, our budget uh, has not been immune to uh, some of the budgetary constraints that are starting to face uh, municipalities that we serve with as well as the Commonwealth. Um, you know, as we've talked about on this show before, our revenue is pretty much derived from real estate transactions. And I don't think I need to tell anybody, uh, the real estate market has been very difficult these days. Not a lot of inventory. Uh, the registry has seen some of its lowest numbers since the early 1980s. So uh, that is creating some issues. But that being said, uh, I think that our conservative budgetary planning has us in an excellent position uh, to be able to address that. There'll be some transfers uh, at the uh, advisory board meeting this Thursday. And for the listeners, um, you know, I keep saying advisory board. So the county commissioners, myself, Commissioner Wright and Commissioner Hanley, we're the executive branch. Advisory board is our legislative branch. It's comprised of one selectman from each town and then one city councilor from Brockton. Uh, and they meet and they approve our budget and they approve other matters that we need them to. So um, 
when they uh, meet Thursday, we're going to be asking them to take $750,000 from our unreserved fund balance. Again, for those who follow municipal government, that's our version of free cash. I'm doing air quotes. I know it's radio. Nobody can see that. I know it's not free, nor is it cash. But nevertheless, um, when we had the refinance boom, we had a lot of excess revenue above and beyond projections. So uh, we banked uh, close to $2 million of that into our stabilization fund. We also have some uh, in the unreserved fund balance. We're going to use that to plug the hole in 2023 fiscal, I'm sorry, fiscal 24. And then as we look into fiscal 25, uh, we're going to begin to also have conversations about using some of that stabilization to fill those holes uh, and hopefully spread out that surplus that we had over what is shaping up to be some lean years. Again, a lot of credit to Treasurer O'Brien, Register Buckley, uh, and my colleagues uh, as uh, commissioner colleagues. Um, Having the foresight to save this money for this for these times, you know, I work in real estate professionally. You know, Kevin mentions Corey Welch at Boom Realty, who sponsors my program. I, free plug, Corey. Free plug, Corey. Free I've been on the, I, you know, I, I sort of see it on the front end, right? You know, where, where the producers out in the field. Mm. Obviously, the revenue on the back end is is um, it's on the back end. So, you know, I kind of got a sense early on as a commissioner that. Um, the refinance boom was going to come to an end. You know, even if rates didn't go up, you're eventually going to run out of people to but refinance. But it's very cyclical, so. is it not? It is. I, I will say I talked to other folks in the real estate industry right now, and they haven't, uh, you know, there's a guy I know that's been doing this for 44 years, and he said that he, this is the lowest he's ever seen it. Ooh. So even, and he obviously was through the savings and loan crisis in the 1980s, the recession of the, you know, late 2000s. So He's seen it all, and, and this has been pretty bad. Problem is there's no inventory. Interest rates are double to triple. So even if you wanted to move, you're in a 2.5% interest rate. You can't. Mathematically, you can't move. It, it's, it's, it's a non-starter. That 2.5% to a 6%, uh, you, you just can't do it. You, you could not afford to to make a lateral move, right? And that, that causes a lot of issues. So um, that is a, a preface for what ultimately affects the county budget. We can't tax. We don't get state aid. We're not like municipalities that that do, right? Municipalities can tax. They get state aid. We get neither. So uh, we need to be extra cognizant and extra vigilant with our budget. And uh, again, I think by some of the conservative measures we've taken these last two to three years, saving a lot of money. And again, I know I was giving commissioner, uh, former commissioner, a lot of credit at the top, but credit to him. He he led the way uh, in Cares getting- Act. We Cares Act, but the stabilization fund. We didn't even have a stabilization fund. We weren't even allowed to save money. <laughs> so uh, he led the way in at least getting us a stabilization fund uh, that we can fall back on. And then, yes, of course, you know, the federal programs that, that we've been carrying out as well that, you know, at least with ARPA comes to an end uh, at the end of this year. But it's been a good- uh, four years for Plymouth County uh, being able to execute these these programs. It's also worth noting, and I know there's not been a lot of conversation uh, about it, but that there was a movement by the county commissioners to slash their own salaries. Yes. Yeah, we voted. You know, I think we work incredibly hard, and, and we do we do a lot. Um, then, why not, why, then why not keep the compensation? I think we're at a point when I look at our budget, you know, when I look at everybody in our organization, everybody works incredibly hard and we're asking our employees, uh, some that are collectively bargained, others that that are in our leadership positions uh, to really put their nose to the grindstone and figure out how to do more with less. And every employee top to bottom in our organization uh, has figured out how to do more with less for the last several years. 
when we looked at the budget, I mean, we're at a point where there's really not much more left to cut. And uh, it was a tough decision. And, and we're hopeful, right? I mean, it's effective July 1st. Uh, we're optimistic that there could be some revenue changes that may allow us to change course. But, you know, as you alluded to, we voted back in January to uh, effectively cut our pay from 33000 to 15000 uh, beginning July 1st. And again, that's in reaction to what the uh, economic forecast is for our budget. And I say these things are only specific, but, you know, to that end, Kevin, and I'm glad you highlighted, I, I can't find any example of any elected officials ever voting to cut their own pay. Um, but as I say, I, I didn't get into this to to make money. I'm not, I didn't run for county commissioner to be compensated. I, I think we're compensated fairly. It's a big county. It's the size of Rhode Island, right? Mm. I mean, it's only a few hundred square miles smaller than the state of Rhode Island. It's a big county. It goes from Hall to Mattapoisett. And frankly, with ARPA the last several years, uh, we have been on the road a lot. We've been visiting our communities and, and it's been great. It's rewarding. So by no means am I <laughs> complaining, right? Um, but I, I believe that the compensation at 33 was fair. Um, however, given the present budgetary situation, um, it was necessitated to really examine areas where we can effectuate savings, uh, and that was in our salaries. Again, if you're just tuning in, uh, we got a few more minutes with Plymouth County Commissioner Chair Jared Valenzola, who is joining us. Let's turn our focus to your reelection bid. Yeah, talk, talk to talk to me about you know the the. The issues that are ahead, what do you feel the conversations that you're going to be having with with voters, whether you're out there getting signatures, whether you're attending events, what do you feel going to be either some of the usual questions that you're going to hear or maybe some new ones where people are paying attention right. and know what it is that your particular board is doing. Yeah, I think people have been very appreciative, Kevin. I appreciate that. You know, I had announced back, I think, November or December on one of your programs that I intended on running for re-election. Mm-hmm. Pulled my papers uh, pretty close to as soon as they were available. Uh, we need a thousand signatures uh, certified to run for county commissioner. So it's not an easy task. I am a Republican. I run as a Republican. We don't have a state convention. So, you know, the Democrats do. They caucus. They have more opportunities. Not a complaint. I'm just pointing out why I was so quick to get my papers. But, um, you know, it's interesting that you mentioned that. I think the county has gone from what do they do to what can they do, right? I think that CARES and ARPA have absolutely demonstrated that with Plymouth County government, you're getting an immense bang for your buck. Again, we did both of those programs at or below 1%, which has meant more money for the 27-member communities. All that aside, our return on the Plymouth County OPEB trust fund is significantly higher than any other like trust fund around the country. Um, We have multiple communities that are continuing to ask us, uh, what can we do and how can we step in and um, and be able to execute uh, more savings? You know, something that came up in a conversation with with the voter in Hanover that I think is a great idea and I'm excited to potentially explore it, uh, is transportation. You know, I know you have uh, the Brockton uh, school uh, leadership, not the school leadership, but, um, you know, employee leadership. Presidents of unions. Unions, thank yeah, yeah, you, yeah, coming yeah. on. Um, you know, one of the things that I know has become a huge burden on public school systems is transportation for special needs students. Um, could the county find a way, right? If one town is sending one kid here, how many other towns are sending those kids to the same schools? And could the county become the apparatus 
to be the transportation. Um, I'm doing air quotes again, company, but you know, it's an idea, right? So it's, it's finding areas within our uh, communities and within our municipalities that uh, are costing a lot of money that if we served as the vehicle, no pun intended for bringing them together, we can effectuate savings. Um, another thing that, you know, we are always constantly looking on and, and it's important, you know, especially for anybody running for County commissioner, you know, we, we have budgetary constraints. I continue uh, to push with uh, the Massachusetts Association of County Commissioners, uh, the legislature to pass our deeds excise legislation that would uh, increase our uh, share of deeds excise from 10 cents for every dollar to 30 cents for every dollar. So, you know, that would mean a significant increase in our bottom line. It would allow us to invest in some infrastructure. Um, you know, our buildings are old and they're spread out. You know, the other challenge of being county commissioners, our buildings range from Hingham to Wareham, right? You know, it's not like uh, a town like Hanover or Rockland where all their buildings are in one town and, and you can maintain them pretty easily. You know, our guys are going around buildings all over the county. Um, so if something like that were to pass, you know, that would be a significant increase in the available dollars that we would then be able to execute programs. Um, but I think that's the biggest thing is continuing these conversations with these communities. You know, we're exploring, we, we voted back in January uh, to begin uh, seeding a mobile integrated health program, uh, partnering with Signature Healthcare in, in Brockton eventually, I believe. So we're excited about that opportunity. Uh, you know, it would help cut down on emergency room recidivism, um, I'm sorry, emergency room visits and regular hospital visits uh, for folks getting out. Um, and again, that's something that I think, you know, communities were doing for years with Visiting Nurses Association. But, you know, again, Rockland, I think, uh, and I'm not picking on Rockland, I just lived this, so I happen to remember this. You know, I think the line item was about 20000 Well, you're not going to find a visiting nurse for 20000 And, you know, the 20000 is probably reflective of the amount of people who need that in Rockland, right? But what if Plymouth County were to take on that responsibility through a mobile integrated health program that we can service so many more people uh, and pay you know, the going rate for that level of service. So, you know, it's continuing to do that. And obviously it's executing ARPA, but um, getting our budget in, in, in line is always going to be my priority. You know, we don't, again, we don't have the luxury of, of asking for overrides, which I do not want to ask, wouldn't want to ask for one anyway. Um, but that being said, communities can ask for overrides if their budgets get a little out of hand. The state can raise taxes. Plymouth County can't do that. Again, by no means do I, as a Republican, complain about that. I'm glad we can't and I don't want to. Um, but it does force you when you're in this position to be creative about how you solve your problems. And you can't be profligate with your money. You have to be fiscally conservative or the county's going to run aground. And unlike any other government agency in Massachusetts, if we screw up, we will be eliminated. So, you know, it's 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 being very, um, you know, again, it's eight of the 14 uh, over the course of the 90s were and, and, and we were on the chopping block not too long ago. Well, so. and, and I have to ask you, and that is, is that I look over this the past several years oh yeah and you know there was there was a time that the folks who served in office that it was it was it was fodder for news stories because of constant bickering they were bringing it on yeah again everybody had differing opinions but but the idea that that a lot has been done especially from covid on the work that's been done how do you feel as far as trying to get people to realize that county government is is a real 
source for its memberships, right. its membership, and not to be the butt of a joke as to whether county government should exist or not. I mean, do you feel as though people are more and more feeling as though that county government is is providing services and that maybe mocking county government, you know, is something that should probably go by the wayside? Well, it would always be nice, right? You know, one of the things that that we try to do is, of course, increase transparency. You know, you're great about having an open door for all three commissioners and and the treasurer and the register. Um, You know, one of the things, you know, I'm not... I'm not naive to the realities of the of New England style of government, right? I mean, I've grown up here. I've been involved in it for pretty much my entire life. Um, you know, that said, I think we've earned our keep and we've earned our right to stay. You know, and as I told the Boston Globe back in, in December, we're not going anywhere. We are here to stay. Communities love us. Uh, and we do so many little things that matter. You know, Frank Bowser, the county administrator, he's doing procurement for the Central Plymouth County Water District and Onset Fire. He's, he, you know, we're handling procurement for so many small communities. Uh, Treasurer O'Brien, again, lending services to, you know, the Mayflower Municipal Health Group, the Retirement Board. So, you know, we do so many things. And of course, PECON, and again, I mentioned that, that's a service to our communities that is allowing them to invest in a trust fund that will help them pay for other post-employment benefits. As I always say, Plymouth County government does a lot of the unfun things in government. Jeff Welch with uh, the parking department, Deputy Treasurer Welch, uh, that program is expanded by leaps and bounds because vendors are dropping municipalities from having them, from processing their parking tickets. It's an unfunded mandate from the state. They come to the county. Uh, Molly Vollmer, Blake Dinius, and our 4-H program. Meg, everybody. Blake's fantastic. Blake is fantastic. You yeah. know, so Very knowledgeable. So what I think we, we continue to do is we continue to demonstrate when we're out there, we're here. We're here to stay. And every time you come to Plymouth County, you know you're, you're, getting, a, you're getting an excellent product or service. You're getting it for pennies on the dollar. I think we cost – the taxpayer of Plymouth County, like 25 cents, right, through the assessment to your community. We are the cheapest form of government you have in Massachusetts. And I say this especially for my Republican friends that think it's repetitive. Well, we're the cheapest form of government. You might want to actually start thinking about more of the things that we can do so that way we can effectuate those savings. You know, in terms of the county, you know, in terms of the the constant questioning, you know, to that end, I would like to see it retired. But, you know, for me, it does still help inform me of who's really on our side and, and who is still thinking that we have no purpose. I'm happy to report we have great working relationships with our legislators, with selectmen, city councilors, the mayor. You know, we work in a collaborative way and we're local. As I remind everyone, you know, no put down of the state. Um, but when you call the state, you're one of 351 municipalities. For me, you're one of 27, okay? And I live here. I grew up here. I am. I answer to your voters. When a selectman calls me or the mayor or a school committee member or anybody, I always like to remind them, your voters and your constituents are my voters and my constituents. I answer to you, uh, and I continue to run for reelection on that transparency, on being available and making sure people – Uh, are aware of what we're doing. You can learn more at votevalenzola.com. I always give out my cell phone. You can call me anytime, 617-827-3457. You can find me on Facebook and Instagram. Uh, And if you want to learn about what the county does, PlymouthCountyMA.gov. Jared, as always, not enough time when we get together. I definitely appreciate appreciate it. I uh, even appreciated the last time. We Maybe had I should take, well, you know, what we can do. Maybe Pilata can just continue on back to row and I can take his next segment as well. 
Well, I'm pretty sure he's waiting on the phone line right now to get through. But- oh, he's not even coming in studio. No, uh, no. I wish I could stick around for that interview. I would. Well, you have other duties and other yes. uh, other happy Gilmore-sized checks to give out. We do. To, we to, do. to communities that, that desperately need it. He is Jared Valenzuela, been our first guest. Thanks, Kevin. We're going to step aside, and when we come back, more Monday Night Talk and a lot of Dan Pallotta. <laughs> Stay tuned. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. At the patio at McWiggins in Whitman Center, sit down with a specialty cocktail and start your meal off with a patio sampler with chicken wings, egg rolls, potato skins, fried cauliflower, and chicken and biscuits. Watch the game on seven 55-inch monitors while digging into braised short ribs, fish tacos, digging goat cheese flatbread, or koji steak tips. Relax and listen to the live entertainment at the patio every Friday and Saturday night. And don't forget, McGuigan's Pub next door. They're located at 546 and 552 Washington Street in downtown Whitman. Soundcheck Studios, a multi-level music venue in Pembroke, offers Boston caliber music to the South Shore. Nominated for 2022 and 2023's Best Music Venue of the Year by the Boston Music Awards. Tomorrow night, Neighbors continues its special five-week residency at Soundcheck. Stop in each week for special guests and new material debuted live and secure your pass to each show now while supplies last. Tickets sold in advance at soundcheck-studios.com and at the door. It's all happening at the South Shore's best address for live music, Soundcheck Studios in Pembroke. Download previous episodes of Monday Night Talk and listen to them anywhere. Check out 959WATD.com slash Monday Night Talk. And now, more Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. Speaking of McGuigan's, it's worth noting that they have been nominated as Best Irish Pub on the South Shore. And this is through the South Shore Home Life and Style. Uh, you can check out the, the website, SouthShoreHomeLifeAndStyle.com to vote. Help them uh, become the best here on the South Shore. Interesting enough, uh, right next to the patio, me and the missus were there yesterday having a, a great meal and uh, actually noticed a couple of new things on the menu. Uh, and keep in mind, don't forget... Uh, we're coming to the end of February. Guess what's around the corner? St. Patrick's Day. And you would want to spend St. Patrick's Day anywhere else but McGuigan's Pub. Keep that in mind. We turn our attention and our focus to our next guest. He so happens to be a previous Plymouth County Commissioner. Now he is a, kind of a big deal in the city of Brockton as he is a Brockton's ARPA project manager. Mr. Dan Pallotta, how are you, sir? How are you doing there, Kevin? I wouldn't say I'm a big deal. Okay. <laughs> you should. I, I thought I would. I, I, I thought I would. I, I thought I would just kind of save you the trouble. <laughs> Not a big deal. The mayor's a big deal. The mayor had the vision to use the uh, federal dollars correctly and uh, and take care of a lot of things in Brockton that needed a little love. Yeah, let's not forget that, you know, if it wasn't for the work of the Plymouth County Commissioners, uh, especially yourself, we wouldn't have seen some of the COVID money starting with the CARES Act, which, you know, kind of rolled itself into the American Rescue Plan Act that uh, you're currently working under. 
yeah, the county uh, definitely played a significant role in uh, in securing funds for the cities and towns. That uh, you know, when the state gets their hands on some of those funds, don't necessarily make it all the way down to where they belong. And I think Plymouth County commissioners, uh, both myself and my 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 successes uh, successes. Have have shown that uh, repeatedly that you know Plymouth County did a far better job than the state did. So, so what exactly is your role with Brockton? So I, yeah, I, I, my my job with Brockton is uh, to act as a, the project OPM, the owner's project manager for the APA capital projects, and the APA capital projects in Brockton uh, vary from. Uh, a whole bunch of uh, projects, but uh, the War Memorial, if you've ever been in the War Memorial, uh, she's tired. Uh, her roof was leaking, plaster was falling off the walls. Uh, it's not, uh, there's no uh, fresh air in the building. Uh, and we corrected all that. Uh, we spruced up the auditorium. It's now going to be air conditioned, so it can be used uh, all year round. Uh, it put a new roof on it and uh, cleaned up all of the, all of the exterior um cosmetics that needed to be cleaned up, sealed up the building nice and tight. Uh, and now the building gets fresh air three times an hour. So uh, we, we, we just completed uh, the War Memorial project. That was the first project that we kicked off. Um, if you've been by the city hall, uh, you'll see that the city hall is covered in staging. Uh, that, that's, that's a $12 million project going on at city hall, uh, including a new roof, to City Hall, which hasn't seen uh, a new roof, I, I don't. I don't think since since it was built. Uh, others seem to think there was some work done on it, uh, but this slate looks pretty original. Uh, so we're going to be working on that for the next six months, uh, replacing all the slate and and some of the copper on the building, and then um, uh, you know we. we and would like to make a call. And please. just like that, <laughs> we lost we lost Dan Pallotta. Dan, we will try to uh, get him back again. Speaking with a uh, Dan Pallotta, as uh, some of the explanation he was giving was given was some of the projects that he is a part of helping um, the War Memorial. Interesting enough, I know a lot of work went into the War Memorial. Great to see that additional work was done. Uh, and he was also talking about City Hall. $12 million of, of ARPA money. It wasn't too long ago. They actually had to do some work and replace the elevator where the, the elevator uh, was having issues. And for some time, they could not use it. They had to use the stairs to go up and down in order to, um, you know, get from one part of City Hall to another. And it's it's kind of a, a steep climb to be able to get from, to the different levels of City Hall without using the elevator, and the elevator was relatively small. So it took them uh, it was like a year and a half to finally replace that. So I guess once we finally get Dan on the line, I think the thing that uh, I'll ask him. Sorry he, about that. Did, did you, did you uh, happen to go through a tunnel or something? No, I don't know what happened. Somebody tried ringing in, and then uh, it, it's, it, I lost you. Okay. So, uh, sorry about that. It sounds like I. It sounds like I'm. You know, you're you're cutting in and out. You're still with us. Yes. I am with you. Can you hear me? I can hear you. All right. So you were kind of giving us the details about the twelve million dollar renovation 
of Brockton City Hall. I the I bridged the gap by talking about they had previously done some work with the War Memorial, but that in fact that it needed further upgrades, and that's what your job was with the ARPA money. Not to mention City Hall, where they prior to the um, COVID, they had to replace the elevator because the elevator was it was quite old and it was having its its issues. Um, I was going to ask you in regards to the slate. Are they going to are they going to keep the slate roof? Because I know that can be kind of costly. Or are they going to replace it with asphalt? No, we're replacing the slate with slate. Uh, the entire roof will be replaced with slate, and it'll last another hundred years. Um, we're going to replace the copper caps with copper. Um, this is a, a historic building, and we're replacing in kind with in kind. Is, is this all? Is so, this all going to be ex- Dan? Is this going to be all external? Or are you going to be doing any internal work too? So internally, we're doing the same thing we're doing to the War Memorial, which is to completely install all new HVAC system to bring in fresh air to the building. Right now, the, the building gets no fresh air um, other than opening windows, and we're going to bring fresh air to the building so that that building, like the War Memorial, will get uh, air, its air changed three times an hour. Uh, you know, part of the part of opera is to try and uh, prevent problems with the next pandemic so you know the mayor mayor sullivan is being proactive by making sure the buildings have the capabilities to have fresh air in them the next time we have a pandemic well i'm sure that uh bob martin uh, who is a fixture in city hall for nearly four decades uh will be glad to hear that because he is when it comes to a lot of the paintings that are within city hall I think he has done like guided tours to t- kind of give the the background in a lot of those paintings uh, throughout the building. Yeah, above those paintings is a beautiful fresco that they've covered with a uh, with a drop ceiling um, that you know has been bastardized over the last you know sixty years. Um, that must have been a beautiful hallway at one point in time. Um, but you know, hopefully, hopefully, the next generation will get that done. If, if Mayor Sullivan doesn't get it done, I know it's one of his goals to get it done. And uh, if if it can get done, it would be great to see that fresco back. It's a ceiling almost identical to the ceiling that's in the council chambers. What kind of money? I mean, do you have any idea as to how much money the city has been able to secure through the American Rescue Plan Act via the uh, Plymouth County Commissioners? To the county commissioners, it's a little more than $17 million, uh, to date. Uh, through the uh, uh, direct from the uh, federal government, it's about 34, 35 million uh, for a total of uh, 51 million and, and change. Uh, and uh, that 51 million is going to not only City Hall, not only the War Memorial, but uh, Cosgrove Pool. Uh, the Cosgrove Pool is getting completely rebuilt. You're going to have a new pool there, it's going to open on time in June. Uh, the bathhouse of the Cosgrove pool is being redone. All of the all all of the piping is being redone, so that the Cosgrove pool uh, will will last you know another fifty years. That pool hasn't had a major uh, a, a major look to it in a long time too. So the Cosgrove pool is going to be redone because that too is outdoor uh, recreation. Uh, that that in a pandemic is what you what you want to do get people outdoors. So the Cosgrove pool is going to be done also. We're also doing eight parks, uh, as well as uh, some uh, some window work at the DW Field Clubhouse. 
So uh, eight parks are getting some ADA upgrades. Uh, you know, some some are getting basketball courts. Some are getting new parking lot. Some are getting uh, some are getting uh, handicap accessible uh, playground equipment. A lot of work going into the parks. Uh, you know, four million dollars are going into the parks. So th- there's a lot of work going on in Brockton uh, over the next year. And uh, it, 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 it's exciting, and it's, it's a great use. I, I have to give the mayor credit. It's a great use of one-time money. He's not spending it on uh, recurring things. He's spending it on things that you just can't squeeze out of a budget, and this, this uh, extra little gift from the federal government and the county is, is, is going to make uh, Brockton you know, uh, be able to keep those buildings going. So, so what exactly, what are you doing as far as being the project manager? It's a matter of making sure so, that the so projects my, are starting, yeah. uh, you know, and, and making sure you have the right contractors that are involved, the materials. So, yeah, I was hired first. The first thing I do is uh, work on getting the designers. Uh, we hired, uh, so far we've hired uh, four different designers uh, for, for, the, for the projects they're working on. Uh, the senior center, which we haven't even talked about, we're expanding because the senior center is woefully small, mm. and you can't socially distance in the senior center. With the expansion, they'll be able to socially distance if there's another pandemic. So the senior center is getting a complete rehab. So we have one designer for there. We have a designer on the Cosgrove Pool and the War Memorial, uh, which is the same designer, and we have a designer on the City Hall. Uh, and on the parks, which are the same designers. So we first thing we do is procure the designers. We do feasibility study on each of these projects, which we've done, and the mayor selected what work we would do, and we then went, uh, did the construction documents, put it out to public bid. All the projects have been awarded. All the projects are uh, either in construction or like the War Memorial is, is near completion. The War Memorial is essentially done. We're just doing working on punch list at this point in time. And people don't realize that in, in your, you know, when we didn't know you as an elected official, somebody who was in the news on a regular basis, uh, serving a community, uh, your your background is, is in construction, is it not? Or or in design? Uh, well, I am an OPM, so uh, I, 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 I'm all over the state. So I have, uh, I have a project in, uh, I have a project in Westfield, a project in Taunton, a project in New Bedford, just finished one in Greenfield. Uh, just just finished one in uh, Wilbraham. Uh, new library going up in Deerfield. So yeah, we have projects all over the state uh, doing exactly what I'm doing for the city of Brockton. So we're you know we care about every dollar that the municipalities have. We treat it like it's our own dollar. And and in, with regard to Brockton, I think they've gotten an unbelievable bang for the buck for. Uh, for what we're doing inside those buildings. Again, if you're just tuning in, we are speaking with Dan Pilata. He is Brockton's ARPA project manager, OPM, uh, helping to get some of these uh, these great projects uh, up and underway and uh, to completion. What would you say of all the projects that you've kind of overseen there, you know, from from the start to the design to, you know, the, the finishing touches that have the Pilata fingerprints all over it? What would you say has been the most uh, interesting that you've done during your career? Uh, two of them. Uh, both historical renovations. One would be the roof on Brockton City Hall. Uh, you just don't get to work on those very often. And the Brockton City Hall, you know, if you go in Brockton City Hall, there's leaks all over the building, and it's all related 
uh, to flashing and roof of copper that's 100 years old. Uh, we're correcting every piece of that mm. and, and doing it within the historical confines uh, of, a, of replacing kind. So uh, Brockton City Hall has got to be up there. Uh, I did the Adams Library in Kingston. Uh, that was, you know, we had a one pit, one black and white picture to try and replicate, uh, you know, hundred year old plaster detailing, uh, that we did. And, uh, that was, a, that was a lot of fun debugging it and figuring it out and, and putting that back together. Uh, again, another building where they just went in and covered the old ceilings with, with, uh, two by four tiles. And uh, which they did in the 60s and 70s, uh, rather than take the time to fix the buildings correctly. Do, do you feel that uh, part of the challenge to this, you know, this project or being the uh, the person who's overseeing these projects is is cost and, and limited supply something that you're constantly battle battling, or has that been better to date? Well, I, I'm, I'm happy to. To, to report for Brockton on all of the opera projects, we're, we're on time and on budget. Um, you know, all the opera projects that are capital projects were budgeted properly, did properly, and they came in right where we expected them to come in. Uh, so we're in, we're in a really good shape for Brockton because I know Brockton has fiscal challenges. Uh, they're not going to have any fiscal challenges with these projects. Um, but But it is really difficult out there right now when you do an MSBA school, for example, mm. you, 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 you're, doing, you're doing the estimate three years from when you're building. So people that did an estimate three years ago, when you're at the tail end of one economy and now you're in the middle of another economy, it's really hard to, to, to get the numbers right. You saw a whole myriad of towns stuck in the middle um, with budgets that weren't enough. Uh, so it, 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 that, that part of the job's not fun, going to, the, going to the owner and saying, look, we did everything right. Your designer did everything right. The economy did something wrong, and no one foresaw it, but we need more money. Um, fortunately for the opera projects in Brockton, uh, you know, the mayor, mayor, was, mayor, mayor Sullivan was adamant that we were not to spend one cent more than we had to uh, a year and a half ago, and we haven't. Well, that's good. Seeing that they have, there's financial issues in other areas of the city budget that, well, it's not necessarily the city, but more so on the school side of things. I want to kind of stay focused on the on the project side of things. Uh, I'm sure you're well aware as to um, Signature Healthcare Brockton Hospital, and you know we had a, a ten alarm fire a little over yeah. a year ago. Uh, imagine if you had to be the OPM on that particular project, trying to get that thing back up to, you know, trying to reopen it. And you know, repair the damage, and somehow try to bring it up to code at the same time. That's a difficult task, and the, the fact that it's taken uh, a year to bring it back tells you of the myriad of codes that you have to deal with mm -hmm. when you do do a repair like that. Uh, signatures, you know, the, you know, I understand they're pretty close to the opening, which even a year or a year and a half. Is, is yeoman's work, and whoever's running that project for Signature, kudos to them, because they know that every day that that hospital's closed could be a life, and they, they're trying to get that thing open as, as quickly as possible. Well, Dan, it's been great having you on. we just got uh, like a couple of minutes left with you. Anything we haven't touched upon in regards to 
your role in these ARPA, uh, pro- ARPA projects that are ongoing well, in the city of Brockton? The only, thing we, the only thing we didn't talk about was the senior center. Uh, the senior center is going to be beautiful. Uh, if you've ever been in the senior center uh, prior, um, I have. The new senior center is, the new senior center is going to have an additional 4,000 square feet. Uh, they're going to have double the capacity to, to feed seniors uh, with, a, with an expanded kitchen, um, you know, additional uh, programming space uh, so that, uh, you know, Director Fitzgerald has the ability yep. to serve the, serve the residents in a far greater, you know, greater, greater span uh, than she can today. So uh, from that standpoint, uh, the, the, the projects are going well. So, so I want one last thing I'll ask you about the, the senior center. So are you building out or are you building up? Are you going to be adding a, 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 a second level? No, we're, so, no we're, we're adding to the to the front. There used to be a green space up to the parking lot. Correct. There's not going to be any more green space. Oh, man. We're taking every square inch of that green space. Yeah. So, uh, you know, uh, it, it's impossible to go up on a building that was designed for one story. Mm. Uh, you, you know, the footings aren't designed to take the load of two floors. They're only designed to take the load of one floor. So it's it's pretty difficult to, to, to go up unless, you're, unless your building was designed to go two floors and that building was not. Well, I, I'm definitely appreciative that we were able to kind of get uh, some insight from you in regards to these projects and uh, be interesting to see how everything finishes out with the City Hall and with the Senior Center as well as the Cosgrove which I think you said will be open this summer. It will be open this summer. Okay, so uh, it's it's going to be it's going to be uh, going to be a sight to see. Well, we want to thank you again for for being our guest, and we'll definitely have you one maybe in another capacity. But either, when when I I kind of saw some of the information and saw what you were working on, I thought it'd be a great conversation to have you on here on Money Night Talk. I appreciate you having me, Kevin. I miss everybody on the eastern part of the state. And you're more than welcome to visit me out in the Berkshires. I will tell you that. <laughs> I, well, I will tell you that we, my prior guest, did want to have a little bit more time and, and asked if he could cut into your time. But I'm like, I, I, we can't do that. Uh, he so. was just—he was just a warm-up act. <laughs> Very, Dan Pilata, our guest. Thank you for joining us, Dan. Bye bye. You got it. Hour number two, straight ahead. Up next, we're going to speak with Florence and Romano. Don't go anywhere. You tune in to Monday Night Talk. South Shore's first choice for live team coverage of breaking news, emergency traffic, and severe weather. 95.9 WATD-FM Marshfield and 95.9 WATD.com. Located in downtown Whitman, McWiggins Pub is a fashionable upscale Irish sports pub with a lively bar and dining room. With all the class of a Boston pub, McWiggins serves a great pub menu featuring favorites like beer-battered fried pickles, Reuben sandwiches, shepherd's pie, bangers and mash, and meatloaf. And of course, they have Guinness on tap. 
Bigwiggins is a great place to eat, drink, and socialize with family and friends. With eight flat-screen TVs, you'll always find yourself in the center of the action of your favorite team. And don't forget the patio at McWiggins right next door. They're located at 546 and 552 Washington Street in downtown Whitman. Stephen Karadianis here, conductor of the Plymouth Philharmonic. Hocus Pocus, our upcoming magic-themed concert, includes Harry Potter film music by John Williams, Uranus the Magician from Holst's The Planets, and The Sorcerer's Apprentice, music featured in Disney's Fantasia. That's Sunday afternoon, March 10th. Concert begins at 3. Hands-on instrument demonstrations begin at 2. For details, log on to PlymouthPhil.org. Sponsored by the Maine Family Foundation, with additional support from WATD. Download the Monday Night Talk podcast from iTunes for free. Just search for Monday Night Talk WATD. We now return to Kevin Tachi and Monday Night Talk. And we return for hour number two of Monday Night Talk. Remember, if you have missed any show, any segment, go to the podcast site. You can find us Monday Night Talk with Kevin Tachi on Spotify. Also available 959WATD.com. Go to the podcast section. Be able to download uh, any episode that maybe you missed a part of the conversation. Later this hour, as uh, this hour kind of focuses on our children, uh, more so this uh, conversation will focus on the city of Brockton and some of the issues that are going on. Uh, We have three members of the collective bargaining team for the Brockton Public School System, uh, Kim Gibson, she is the president of the BEA, Stacy McDonald, president of the of BEPSA, B-E-P-S-A, and Joe Campbell, president of the IBAA and uh, TEA, as they are going to be talking about the situations going on in Brockton. As we know, there is going to be a, a school committee meeting tomorrow night. It was a standout this morning outside of Brockton High School, the Forest Ave entrance. Uh, the conversation that we're going to have is going to be about what to do. You know, budget shortfall. The kids fighting in uh, in the halls and, and videotaping it. Um, Massachusetts law two two two. What is that all about? So folks understand that, and as well as the the folks who are in teaching, those are paraprofessionals. Those who provide the technical assistance. Uh, what's being done to make sure that uh, that they're safe and that they be, they're able to be productive as well. That's coming up uh, later this hour. But right now. Our conversation will focus on, if you remember, uh, late last month, January 31st, as the CEOs of TikTok, X, and Meta were grilled about the online child safety during a a congressional hearing. Joining us for this segment, uh, our guest is an author, uh, author of the book, Build your village and she's also a parenting expert joining us is florence and romano florence welcome to monday night talk hi thank you for having me so just to give a little bit of background uh tell folks a little bit about yourself other than being an author uh also being a parenting expert in the 21st century Oh, sure. Gosh, that sounds like a heavy load, doesn't it? Being a parenting <laughs> expert in the 21st century. Yeah. Um, I started out as a nanny years ago. I had over 15 years in childcare, worked for lots of different families, 
and noticed a lot of the idiosyncrasies and nuances of family dynamics, uh, you know, getting to be in that environment and wanted to go off after I retired from being a nanny, if you put it that way, uh, to be an advocate for families and children in a different way. Uh, and then as I started uh, doing more and more media regarding child care in the new millennium, I started looking at that proverb, it takes a village to raise a child. And I think, oh, that's great. You know, that makes a lot of sense. Of course it takes a village. But I like to chop that in half. <clears throat> it takes a village because the truth is we shouldn't just be excluding uh parents and and uh, people who don't have children, you know, we have to look at the people in the world that make up communities. And if you don't have kids, does that mean you don't deserve to have a community? Mm. And so I wanted to write a book that addressed that specifically about how we build our villages and our communities and we find our people in the world today, especially after the COVID-19 pandemic, when it became very difficult for people uh, to want to get back to connect and now we're in a world where there's a loneliness epidemic and also a mental health crisis. And all of this goes back to the idea of what does community look like? Uh, and so um, I'd like to blend the two worlds of my life when I was a nanny and, you know, advocating for children and families and now looking at the more of the personal growth side of things uh, regarding connection and loneliness in our world today. How does technology play a role in building a village, but yet keeping our village safe? Well, uh, I believe that you did a a blog about about screen time and and the positives of on, you know being online, but also being protective. How important is it to be uh, observant as a, as a parent or someone who is uh, you know the uh, uh, stakeholder in a village? Mm-hmm. It's funny we're having this conversation conversation today because I think we all know the U.S. Supreme Court is trying to figure out right now how they should be if they should be uh, putting you know uh, stronger uh, parameters on social media today and. And social media, just like everything in life, you know, moderation is key. You know, everything in life, you know, you can kind of enjoy, you know, as long as it's in the right doses and you're making sure that the content that you're digesting is healthy. Uh, but this is where we get into trouble now, where we see the world of social media and, uh, and how people are influenced by it. And I always like to say this, you know, here we are talking about what we want to limit our children in terms of seeing and doing because there's explicit content or there's bullying going on uh, or there's conversations that are uh, far beyond their years. It's, it's too mature. Uh, and, and then we look at us as adults who can't put down our phones, can't put down our technology. We're as addicted to it as they are, if not more so. And we see adults behaving online in sometimes the most vile way. So it's become this do as I say, not as I do. Uh, and so I'm very anxious to see what the Supreme Court comes up with. But just like anything, I think you can have social media in a child's life. But I'm going to agree uh, with probably the minority here, which is keep your kids off of it as long as you possibly can. And probably for adults, too. <laughs> do you think that do you think these platforms do enough to protect to, to protect children? I think they they do try. I think in the world today they have to because that's one of the number one issues parents have regarding why they will or will not allow their child to create some sort of social media site. 
But then you also have to remember, it's not just social media. You know, you can Google anything. You can look everything up on the Internet. I was saying to someone the other day, and they were laughing. I said, I used to have to go to the library, and when I would write a term paper, I'd have to look up a newspaper article on a microfiche machine. And this person looked at me like I was a psychopath. (laughs) You know, so, like, it's different now. Children have access to everything, and they have to because that's how they learn in school. So introducing the right platform, the only way you're going to be able to do that is if you, the parent, are educated to know what the platform is about and what the uh, parental parameters are that are allowed uh, and, and offered to you. Uh, just for folks who are tuning in, again, we're speaking with Florence and Romano. Uh, you can check out her website while we're sitting here having a conversation, Florence and Dot com. That's where I got a lot of my information to prep for our conversation. Uh, and I, I'm going to go right to as far as any hip, helpful tips that you may want to share, especially when it comes to drawing the line with social media. Do, do you have any helpful mm-hmm. tips that parents may willingly want to try to kind of sure. limit? Sure, your kids are going to hate me for saying this one, but I know a lot of parents who do this. They take the technology away at night when the kids go to bed. They lock, they take the phones, take the iPads, computers, and put it in the parents' room, and they don't get it back until the next day. And that, yep, that sounds harsh, and yes, your kids are going to kick and scream about that, but certainly a lot of things especially late at night, that's when sometimes you get into trouble. And also cutting off your Wi-Fi uh, wire, uh, Wi-Fi at certain hours of the day, um, you know, making sure you take away the phones and things like that when you're having a meal together or you're having family time, uh, you know, making sure that there are some tech-free zones available in your home at some point uh, and that you actually implement that. And People often use technology as a reward or that's going to be the consequence. You're going to lose the phone. You know, I understand why, why that makes sense. Um, but at the same time, you have to have conversations about open, honest communication with your child, too, about why it is that you're making these decisions, why it can be a dangerous place, what they have to look out for. Uh, so talking to your child about uh, what they're up to online uh, instead of, you know, making uh, them seem threatened by it all the time or that they're doing something wrong, that they feel that they can actually come to you. And also asking them to tell you what they're seeing and to teach them how to view things on social media with a critical eye. I see it so often with young girls. You know, it used to be just models on a magazine that you were comparing yourself to. And now there's every reality show and every celebrity or influencer out there that every girl is comparing themselves to uh, and making sure you're having conversations about healthy self-esteem. And this also applies to to young men too, but also understanding too, what is acceptable on social media as a family? You know, you're not going to gossip. You're not going to be using bad language. You're not going to spread rumors, be disrespectful or bully. Um, you know, this sounds like a heavy lift, and I'm sorry if it does for parents out there. And it's not meant to scare you. It's just meant to equip you so you feel like you're not going to swim the water that is so dangerous that you have no idea kind of what's beneath the surface you will have a better chance of actually navigating these waters with your children if you know what's out there. But you yourself actually have to take the reins and say, I want to know so I can be honest with my child. And the final thing I'll say about that, especially with parenting, 
you never want your child to be ashamed to come to you and have a conversation about something, even if there's going to be consequences or there's going to be punishment on the other side of decision-making. You still want to make sure that they feel safe coming to you. And as they get older and older and they stop talking to you as much, you want to make sure you're keeping those lines of communication open because that's generally when kids get into trouble as when they're too afraid to go to the parent or go to their caretaker, whomever it is, to say something feels wrong and I need help. Let's talk about being tech savvy. You know, parents these days, you, a lot of folks want to think that they're they're quite tech savvy and they know all the, the latest and greatest applications or or social media platforms to, to be on. What's the best way to kind of stay up to speed with today's technology and some of the places that are popular with the kids where you can be able to monitor what their activity is and who they're getting involved with? The best part about most of these apps is now before anything is downloaded, you can go read about what the app is about. And generally, there is going to be a parenting part of that content that tells you what the parental controls are, just as if you were putting something on your TV for Netflix or, you know, a streaming service and you were trying to monitor that or codes. Now, here's the other thing. Children, of course, you know, can say, oh, yeah, here's my handle, mom or dad. And, you know, you can follow them along and you should follow them along on social media. But it doesn't stop them from creating more than one account that perhaps you don't know about. So, again, you know, we can sit here and talk about all of the ways you can try to implement those uh, those parental controls. And you should you should know about the technology you're using and you can Google any of it, any of it. You can Google the parental controls attached to the app. Uh, that you're looking to learn more about, and it will give you all that information. But again, the most important thing here is the prevention side of it, understanding how they should be using social media safely. That's more beneficial, honestly, in my opinion, than the parental controls, depending on the age of a child. I'm not going to apply this to a 12, the same thing to a 12-year-old that I am going to to an 18-year-old or a 16-year-old. But again, it's about you educating yourself and then also making sure that you're having those conversations with your children. It's interesting that the parenting has changed throughout the years. You know, what was, you know, how I may have been disciplined or how I might have been brought up may differ from how Larry Nelson, my my producer, may have been brought up to how you may have been brought up. Um, how can we be better examples for our kids, especially when it comes to being on our on our technology and not spending enough family time? But that's going back exactly to what we just touched on a little earlier. You know, having family dinners, it seems like it's an archaic thing now mm. that people don't do that anymore. But even if it's 15 or 20 minutes and you get to spend with your child, you know, everyone put your phones away. Something that really upsets me today is I see so many kids, young kids, who will, like, you know, say to me when we're in a group of people or something, they're like, Mom, watch this. Dad, look at me. Do this. And they'll turn to you and say something like, oh, they never watch because they're always on their phone. Mom, will you please put down your phone? I mean, and it breaks your heart because we have to be on our phones for work or otherwise. We understand that. But making sure that we do carve out time where you you make your child feel like they are important and spending that time together. And then also be, you know, check yourself before you wreck yourself. I always say as a parent, if you're getting, you know, online and you're getting into political arguments with people and your children are seeing that on your page or otherwise, how are you going to ever tell your child that they shouldn't treat people like that, shouldn't do things like that? I even see it 
in homes where something will be on the TV and the parent is upset about something and they're screaming at the TV and all this profanity and they're saying all this mean stuff. And then later on, they see their child treat someone a certain way or do something uh, when they react about a feeling that they don't like or something they don't agree with. And they're like, gosh, where did you learn that behavior? But sometimes you have to look at yourself because they're looking at you. So, you know, understanding that you're always still going to be your child's role model and to be very careful about how you yourself are putting yourself out there in terms of social media or otherwise. All right. So I'm going to ask you a, a, a generational question, and mm-hmm. that is, is that, and, and, and hopefully you can share some advice, and that is, let's say your children's children, you watch them and you see how they're constantly on their on their tablets and their devices and while you may say, oh, you know, maybe they shouldn't be on it so much, you know, the, maybe your child, your, your mm-hmm. son or daughter may say, well, they're, they're playing a game. or they're just, Where is a grandparent? Should, should there be a voice or is it a matter of just, just gently nudging your child saying, hey, I just want to say that I care and I, I wish, you know, my granddaughter, my grandson wasn't necessarily so self-involved with a tablet and was more Mm -hmm. conversational. Do you hear that from Mm -hmm. anybody? We could do a whole show on this, the grandparent boundaries. I talk about it quite a bit. And that's actually the key word, boundaries. Because, yes, you want your child to have a relationship with the grandparents. And you yourself were raised by those parents. Something my mom always would say to me, take what we did right and use it. Take what we did wrong and lose it. And that was kind of her philosophy about Mm. us becoming parents one day, right? I think it's pretty good. And, you know, I was raised in an old school Italian family. Uh, My grandparents lived with us, so we really were that kind of quintessential village. And my my grandparents disciplined us. They were a big part of uh, the child rearing. Um, But at the same time, there was a lot of respect there. And mostly it had to do with asking questions to understand. The grandparents asking, you know, what is it that they watch and how often do you let them watch it? And just curious about why, how does you feel it affect is, is good for their learning? It's educational. Is it impeding them in any way? Is it affecting their sleep? You know, be curious instead of being accusatory, I would say. There's, you know, you can say what you mean and not say it means. So it's not wrong for a grandparent to ask questions about why something is being done. It's not appropriate to walk in and attack and say, this is not how we did it, you know, and I don't know what you're doing and this is not right. You know, that's what leads to then keeping grandchildren away from their grandparents. That leads to then a division in your relationship with your parents. And I always say that in the world today, it's way too black and white. There is absolutely no gray. We need to take the old school and the new school and make a hybrid of it because everyone seems to think we need to get rid of everything that happened back in the day, that it's wrong. And it's not true. So much of what we learned, you know, growing up in my generation or otherwise, there were really good things that came of that. So blend the old school and new school. Um, But again, just remember common decency when having these conversations between parents and children. Um, It is a new world. And also give the grandparents grace. They may not understand this world as well as you do. So instead of getting defensive when they're asking questions, understand that it's probably coming from a place of love and that they want to understand. So help them. Again, if you're just uh, tuning in, the sound advice we're receiving uh, this evening from Florence Ann Romano, 
Uh, she is a parenting expert, also author of the book, Build Your Village. If you have a chance, take a look at her website, florenceann.com. Uh, anything you want to uh, share? Anything maybe we've missed or not taken a moment to talk about that you'd want to kind of share uh, information with our audience? I just want to remind parents, I know that this is a really trick of, tricky time in life for you to decide if or when it is it is appropriate for your child to be joining social media. And you know your child better than anyone. You have to vet that situation based on their emotional capabilities. Um, and just because everyone else is doing in class doesn't mean that they should be. However, again, we go back to children compare themselves to everyone else. They feel that they're being left out because social media is a big part of, no pun intended, the social life of children today. You don't want necessarily them to be left out. So, again, you, know, you have to make sure you're looking at it from all these perspectives. But, again, going back to your child, what they're capable of in terms of emotional intelligence and otherwise emotional maturity, um, and then making sure um, that you yourself are prepared to deal with the consequences of that, and they are too. But it has to be based on every child. Again, we're speaking with the Florence in Romano, who was actually voted most likely to have her own talk show in high school. You know, in today's day and age, I'm surprised you don't have a podcast yet. You know, I did for a little bit. I did want to call Finger Painting the Future was actually a, a teacher, um, and I, we had a great time. Um, but I've kind of gone off and did other things. But maybe one day I'd go back to it. Hey, what an endorsement from you, who you know, such an amazing host. If you think I should have a podcast, I would be, be very honored and humbled to hear that. Thank you. You got it. Well, I, I, I would love to have you back on for more segments. Any, any time that we could share information and, and try to come together as a village would be fantastic. If folks want to... I would love to. Thank you. Thank you. And, and give you an opportunity if folks want to find out uh, if they want to get your book. Where is your book available? Anywhere books are sold, or you can go to my website, which thank you for mentioning, com, or you can follow me on social media because I got to say it, right? We're talking about social media. I'm there, uh, Florence Dan Romano. You can DM me, and I'll answer every question you have. I answer every DM that I get. You're not alone. Think of me as your virtual village. Well, I want to thank you again for joining us, and we, we will we will definitely talk again soon. I hope so. Thanks so much. This is a pleasure. You got it. All right. We are on to the final segment of Monday Night Talk. Uh, we thank uh, Florence and Romano for being our guests, but uh, more ahead as we talk about the Brockton Public Schools in just a few moments. You're tuned into Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 WATD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi on 95.9 WATD. Ever see a windshield crack grow smaller? Not ever. I'm Peter Brown of Tiny and Sons Glass in Pembroke. Windshield cracks grow like a bad toothache. The reason is, you come out of your warm house into cold air. You reach for that cold door handle. Your windshield is cold. You turn on a defroster. Your windshield is hot. Windshield expands. Not much, just enough to pull that crack along. Advice. Check your windshield now. Little dings. Starburst bullseyes. We'll fix them before they grow awful. Just call 1-888-64-TINIES. And thank you. Hi, I'm Holly Flanagan. Join me every Wednesday night at 8 p.m. on Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, presented by The Great Blizz. 
Each week, we discuss topics important to our inclusive community and highlight the talents and achievements of our community members. Make sure to tune in Wednesday night at 8 p.m. to Breaking the Ice, Let's Talk Inclusion, presented by The Great Blizz. Breaking the Ice, every Wednesday night at 8 p.m., right here on 95.9 WATD. This is Monday Night Talk with your host, Kevin Tachi. And we return for the final segment of Monday Night Talk. Uh, this, this segment is actually it's kind of a, a unique situation. If you're somebody who's been watching the news as of the past, uh, I don't say, three or four weeks, even going, dating back to September, prior to school starting, uh, the city of Brockton has been in the news. Uh, Brockton Schools... First off, before the start of the year, facing challenges, budget shortfalls. First thought to be from the prior fiscal year. Now it's being learned that it might be bleeding into uh, previous fiscal years before that. Some $18 million deficits. That's the number at the moment. I'm sure it's kind of a moving target to change the superintendent. And then ongoing struggle with the school committee. Now the latest news involves a request for the National Guard to help restore order because there are situations where there's a lack of teachers, there are students allegedly roaming the halls, there are staff members, teachers, paraprofessionals getting hurt because these there's no learning that's going on at some of these uh, learning facilities. Joining us this evening, we're privileged to have Kim Gibson. She is the president of the Brockton Education Association, BEA. Kim, welcome to Money Night Talk. Thank you very much, Kevin. Glad to be here. Uh, next, we have Stacy McDonald, president of the Brockton Education Support Professionals Association. Welcome. Thank you, Kevin. And last but not least... Uh, actually, he is. He has been on the show previously. We've had him on for prior conversations about things in other parts of the South Shore. Uh, we have Mr. Joe Campbell, president of the Independent Brockton Administrators Assistance and and Technical Employee Association, or the IBAA and TEA. Correct. Thanks. Appreciate being here. Well, I want to thank. I want to thank all of you for being here and and kind of representing your respective parts of. The education that goes on, whether it's teachers, whether it's folks who assist the teachers or assist or uh, employees who do other things that make the schools function. It's interesting to hear all this news. It's hard to glean what is true, what is false. I would be curious from from each of you as to some of the things that we're hearing and we're seeing and, and what your concerns are as you know leaders in your respective areas. Start with you, Kim. Uh, where are we at at this particular point in time? So in all honesty, Kevin, I think that we're at a point where we do have to look at how is Brockton funding our school department? Where can we get more money from? Because we are down staffing levels. You cannot educate students with less staff members than you had last year. We actually have children who need more mental health supports, more alternative programs, pathways for those students who really do not fit in at the high school in particular. Um, I would say that we have some fabulous students, about 95% of the students really want to be there and they are achieving very well. Um, they're doing a lot of positive things, but that 5% 
how do you deal with that? We need more bodies. And um, what you've heard recently isn't the solution to things. Um, you know, I'll dive right into the National Guard being requested. That's not a solution for us. We have not looked at everything in Brockton. We need to work with our police force. Chief Perez needs to be called in. I know she's been involved. There needs to be some immediate actions from the city of Brockton itself. Stacy, give me your thoughts on, on the particular situation. Um, I, I can say that um, the rumors that you heard, they're not rumors. Those are actual events that are happening in our school daily. You know, members are being hurt. Members are being assaulted. It, it's going on. There's stuff going on that shouldn't be going on in any high school. I echo Kim's um, sentiments regarding the students. There's students in there that are excelling, are trying so hard. And it's unfortunate that, you know, national attention was brought for what's going on for the bad behavior, but not for those other 95% of the kids that are excelling and doing wonderful in Brockton Public Schools. That's a shame. I definitely, I, you know, the National Guard, I don't think, um, is the way to go. I, I, I don't think... We've um, actually delved into any other policies except for, let's call the National Guard. We've never seen a policy or procedure put in place yet that was going to benefit the staff or the students in the school. They jumped right to National Guard. That's it. Well, what if the National Guard doesn't come? What's going to be the policy and procedures that are going to be put in place? We want to know. Does it feel, Joe, as though there's there needs to be more of a collective effort and not necessarily a tug-of-war with the political rope 100 percent, kevin yeah you hit the nail on the head and and that really complements what stacy was discussing one of the issues that we've seen here is we do have and as you noticed on all the news headlines recently there were four school committee members so there are four school committee members that decided to jump uh, and and what we've seen since the start of the school year is we've seen that there are a lot of efforts to not form the school committee as a whole for whatever reason uh, and not be able to, as a result, have policy subcommittees, finance subcommittees. A lot of the subcommittees that the school committee has that they form, they need to have the participation of those members to be able to bring it to full body. And then from there, you get the, the actual policy gets set in stone, put in place, and then the administration take that policy and they move forward. But instead, recently, especially these recent headlines, you've seen a real jump from zero to 60, but in a completely different direction. It should have been zero to 60 with efforts internally, not externally. And that's really where the school committee needs to drive from today moving forward. If they need to have any effective change. They need to recognize from a 500 foot overview that these attempts to take and bring other entities inbound, the National Guard, I'm a prior service veteran of the Army, it is not the answer. Thank absolutely you for your service. Answer. Thank you. It is absolutely not the answer. It is extremely expensive. It's very expensive, let alone the fact that it really has to ring the bell of the governor's office to get that authorization. It's very difficult. So what everybody has said prior to me and this coalition here between the three of us has been great. It's all factual. There are some entities that are causing problems, but the vast majority of the great students at not only Brockton High School, but the middle school, they are really great students. It's just that you're seeing a lot of highlights from a lot of bad behavior because they're being affected. And that's where we come in and for our staff members to be able to properly educate and be able to support so that those kids can get a great education that Brockton provides. How is the current budget situation affecting your respective areas as to deficits with employees and being able to having to pick up the slack for the lack of teachers, 
paraprofessionals or folks with technical skills? We'll start with you, Stacey. Um, well, I can tell you that um, Kim had the biggest hit with the, the cuts, the budget cuts. Um, so there was teachers' positions that weren't filled. So when teachers' positions are not filled, who fills in? Paraprofessionals, which then leaves our, our, our units short. Again, and then they're not filling those positions because they're they're not open positions. We technically have a body in those positions. We are now just doing the job of what the teacher has to do. It's just a mess. It's a mess, and um, it's actually unacceptable. And for them to cut positions that are facing the children mm. are the most deplorable things that can be done. We're here to support the students of Brockton. It doesn't matter, you know... What the budget deficit is, there's got to be other ways that can be that can be handled, and not by cutting teachers, support staff, administrative assistants. That's not how it works. I will say I'm I'm a, I'm a veteran when it comes to the new cycle in the city of Brockton. I remember back a couple of you know superintendents ago, you had you know Matt Malone, and we would see the RIF notices, the reduction in force notices, and there were times that they were they were. Big numbers. Yeah, they were tough. But, you know, the, the, the conversation will always be because we, they would happen at a certain time that you have to release those because you, contractually the city has to do that. But then there was always the, the conversation that we'll be able to bring back many of these, but we just have to figure out what our numbers are, you know, when the city council meets and they, they, they cut the budget and figure out what's what. You know, again, the mayor puts his budget out and then city council makes because it's plan B form of government. It, it's interesting. But it's been such a crazy year knowing that you really didn't have a superintendent. You had an interim superintendent. And then there was a question in regards to a principal at Brockton High School. Now, there's been a principal that's been hired, but it's kind of in mid-step. How does that affect things for your staff, at least at the high school, Kim? So it's a lot of instability at the high school. We did start out with acting superintendent Cobbs up there with the deputy superintendent and one of the assistant superintendents. Then we had uh, Principal Duart. Now we have Principal McCaskill. He is, I will say, I think he is probably the right person for the job. Um, he's putting things into place. I do hear that he is suspending students, which we hadn't been hearing before. He's holding students accountable for their behaviors. So now there's a leader up there. He's been there since January 2nd, which when you look at a calendar is about 30 days or so. Um, but I think that he's at such a, a, a difficult spot because he needs to be able to put things into place. You had asked Stacy. For the question about how many we lost, I lost 130 positions, which means 130 less teachers, which now we actually have 150 less because people are leaving the district. Mm. They are going elsewhere because they do fear about the, you know, have fears about the budget, but they're also overworked because Stacy's people pick up the work, but my teachers are actually giving up prep time to cover for teachers who are not hired. So it's a, it's a great strain on the, um, the, the people themselves in the buildings. So, you know, I say all the time that they keep showing up and they're doing their jobs and they should be commended for that every day. And Kevin, you asked about the budget and how it affects everything. You know, one of the things about the budget that a lot of people should realize or recognize is that the things that we're hearing about as far as, you know, detriments to the budget this year, they're not just this year. This Brockton School Department has been talking about out of district. They've been talking about transportation costs. They've been talking about these things for years. It's mm. not just this year. So it's not a problem that hasn't been spoken about or acknowledged about before. It's just that this seems to be flavor of the day to be able to pin something somewhere 
So as far as that goes, you know, the, the city CFO makes a great statement and he says that the, that himself and working with the mayor, that they have always funded the school department with their net ask. That's absolutely true. The yeah. net ask comes in. What they don't say is they don't properly fund with non-net spending. And it is difficult. It's, a, it's kind of a moving target number. We understand that. But you got to say the whole truth. I, I'm going to ask you, for folks who don't understand that lingo, what is the non-net? What is that? What is that phrase? Well, some of the non-net spending are things that you, you can't have an exact. They're not static. So some of the non-net spending were things like uh, like the electric bill for mm. the schools or the transportation costs because those numbers are they're malleable. Uh, it is understanding that it's very difficult to to try to narrow that down. Uh, however, you know, providing a supplemental budget in January after the the governance uh, you know budget comes out, it's just not the way that it should work. Uh, the the school department should have the opportunity to ask the number that they need. And they should be funded with the number that's requested, not with something that was proposed to city council that was decided behind a door. You know, the, mm. it's, it's, it's a difficult situation. We all understand that. But that's the truth about it. Talk about what you have shortfalls in and why. And, and if you put that on, that's transparency. How, is, how has this situation affected you? How's the budget shortfall affected your area, Joe? Affected for for my group, so mm. uh, very much the same. When we had the rifts, uh, we have the the largest groups, obviously the BEA, and then the, the Bespa group, and then my group. We have 140 members, so we did have rifts. We had the same thing. We were a little bit more creative. We were allowed to be a little more creative, smaller group. We had open positions that had not been filled because of the budget, so they were they were still lacking support office staff, uh, administrative assistance, and techs and things like that. So instead of filling those positions. We were just cutting them. We just took them off the books, not to be filled. It was another creative way to save headcount and not have rifts specifically in our group. And it was very creative, but it, the, the budget affects everybody. The behavior that happens that's going on affects everybody. There are other brothers and sisters of ours from the Teamsters. They're not here. They're affected. That's our craftsmen, our custodians. Mm. When children have destructive behaviors in a school, they're affected. Then the budget's affected from that as well. You know, So it's just a drop in the bucket that is not just a small drop. It's very impacting. Again, if you're just tuning in, we are privileged to be speaking with Kim Gibson, Stacy McDonald, and Joe Campbell. And we're talking about the situation that's going on with the Brockton Public School System and how it's affecting the folks who are the teachers, who are the folks who are assisting students or, you know, different technical areas that it's, you know, it's a part of the ingredients to education. Can somebody tell me, Kim, what is Mass Law 222? We're, we're starting to hear this now. What is this? So Chapter 222 started, I believe it was passed in 2012. So it's been around for about 11, you know, 12 years I think what we're seeing now is you've got a group of students who were kindergartners, first graders, who have gone through a system where it was well-intentioned. It was supposed to cut down on suspensions of students of color. And instead, what it's done is, um, I, I believe, it's been misinterpreted by many administrators, and there are no consequences to behavior any longer. And the students know that. So there was a revision in 2022 that actually even gave less control to the building leaders. They're no longer allowed to suspend for fights. So there are things that I think legislation didn't realize they put into place. So we actually met with our state delegation and they're asking us like, what do we need to see? So uh, Representative Jerry Cassidy has said he wants to put a commission into the budget to really look at chapter 222 and what has changed 
since that was implemented. Now, is this something that all school districts have to observe? Yes. Yes. Oh, that's interesting. So I will say, so I also co-chair the large local president's group for the MTA, and we met last Thursday. There are many, many large locals are seeing the same type of behaviors in their high schools. And so Framingham has had arrests out of their high school. You've got different things like that. So it's not just a Brockton situation. It is a state issue. So I'm I'm going to ask this question because I'm sure folks are asking it as well. Knowing that we just went through a pandemic, Stacy, would you think that the pandemic has a- exacerbated this situation, especially when it comes to mass law? Absolutely. Two, two, two. Absolutely. Like Kim said, when the you know when this first went into effect in 2012, they were kindergartners, so they've learned that since there's no consequences. They they're very smart. Kids are very smart. So six a six year old knows that if I do that and I don't get in trouble. There's no stopping them. I just don't, maybe because I was brought up differently, there are consequences for your actions. How can we teach our younger generation that there are consequences and that bad behavior, well, this is what the repercussions are. Good behavior, there's rewards. Is that unheard of these days, Joe? Uh, you couldn't have said it better. And it starts at home. It really starts at home. It starts with the parents. So the parents that are listening tonight, thank you so much. It doesn't matter whether it's Brockton or Duxbury anywhere. or Quincy or Plymouth, anywhere on this. All of our towns, all of our educators are going through this this uh, cause and effect of 222. And it, it would behoove you to have a conversation with your, your students to let them know that there are consequences. It doesn't matter whether you're at home or at school. We were all brought up. You respect your, your mail person, your mail carrier, your fireman, sure. police, didn't clergy. It didn't matter who it was. Yeah. It were all part of the neighborhood, and that's what made the world work. And the, the, you know, some of the really heavy causes of 222, as, as Kim was pointing out, through some of these reforms, even if a kid is expelled, the school department still has to educate that that student through remote sessions. The school department has to pay for all those costs. So it really, really bound the hands of administration to be able to do any good. And and, and it's not like it's not like when we grew up where it was, okay, if you don't want to be here, there's the door. Right. You know, maybe there's go to war, go to jail, that kind of a thing. There was an alternative. It's just not like that anymore. Yeah, and if I could add to that, Please. um one of the biggest things that we're seeing is it, there, it's an unfunded mandate, basically, because right. they're looking for, you have to do alternatives to suspension, which, you know, again, I don't think every student should be thrown out. Correct. But there has to be something. Well, what do we do with them? But isn't there an alternative? Doesn't Brockton have alternate, a whole alternative high school? So we do have Edison Day. We, do, we no longer have, we used to have Frederick Douglass. That doesn't exist any longer. Okay. So we do, that needs to be rebuilt. And that's a conversation that we've started to have at the central office um, site to say we need to add back an alternative pathway for these students because not everybody belongs at the high school. I'm going to ask another silly question. No, no silly question. I, I know that the drug situation has been something that's been an issue for, for many years. And I know that late mayor, Bill Carpenter, it might have been prior to him being elected, worked really hard with a group of educators to bring a, a high school, a different type of a high school atmosphere or school atmosphere called Independence Academy. Is that something that's, that, that is still functioning these days? Could that be an alternative to the learning setting with troubled students? It's not part of our school district, so I'm not sure if oh. it still exists, to be quite honest with you. Okay. I know there were only four of them, and it was kind of like a, one of those models to help individuals who were dealing with drug addiction, and they were trying to, instead of sending them back to where the situation was occurring, and that's the other thing that we keep, we're hearing is, is that, We've talked about the violence, but there's other things that are happening with the drug dealing that's going on, that you might have a gang element that's going on, which 
again, when I went to Brockton High a long, long time ago, there used to be a, uh, albeit small, police force. If Why would we need the National Guard if that police force still operates? Does this, is there still a small police force? Well, again, that's, that's to my point a little while ago in regards to the school committee jumping steps and going right for the gusto of, of, of bringing in the National Guard. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, we, do, we, we have a wonderful law enforcement in the city of Brockton. Wonderful law enforcement. Probably they, one of the best. Probably one of the best. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Uh, and, and Chief Perez... Very tough, difficult position, but it's a wonderful force, wonderful officers, all of them. They need to be engaged. There are people that specialize in some of these instances. They specialize in how to put measures in place to alter them or, or make things change on a positive level. They need to be engaged. If you don't ask those people to the table, you're never going to get the answer, and you're going to get a well, let's call it the National Guard. You're going to get a, a quick answer. You need to engage with your local police to be able to have them give you the input that they need. They're the ones that are going to respond when there's an incident. The fire department, emergency services, they're the ones that are going to respond. They absolutely should be part of the resolution. Again, speaking with uh, Kim Gibson, uh, Stacy McDonald, and Joe Campbell, and we're talking about the situation going on with the Brockton Public Schools, uh, anything from the, the shortfalls, the, the budget issues, to the staffing shortages as well. I guess... The next question I have to ask is how many school committee meetings have each of you either attended or watched and have you had a chance to speak before and, and, and plea with the, the members again, folks who don't know who are outside. It is seven members. The mayor makes up the eighth. He is the chairperson. There was a time for a succession of meetings where there was an ongoing struggle to pick a vice chair. The vice chair serves in the capacity as the chair when the mayor is not able to attend, and there was a real a real power struggle with that. Stacy, give me your thoughts as far as watching these meetings and with the or even having a chance to address and say something needs to be done. Well, um, I attend most of all mm-hmm. these meetings, um, so I'm in the audience. Do you pack um, a lunch? Because I hear they're pretty long. <laughs> they are pretty long. Popcorn. They are, they are pretty long. And, okay. um, you know, our pleas for help started back in November. Mm-hmm. Um so our biggest question or concern was then, why wasn't anything done back in November? Um, it took us again all, and, and a lot of the BEA members came and spoke in a January meeting to really, obviously, like the school committee just woke up and realized this problem was happening in January. You know, our concerns were not addressed in November. They were not addressed in January. We're in February now, and I guess... The saving grace is supposed to be the National Guard, apparently, but no policies have been put in place. So, you know, we, we sit on the outside watching it like, are they serious? It's difficult. It's hard to watch. And, and at times, to be honest, quite frankly, I'll, and I'll speak from my heart here, it's embarrassing. Mm. It's embarrassing to watch. Mm. So I agree with what Stacey was saying. We spoke back in November. I had a number of teachers come sign in. They shared their experiences. And for whatever reason, they didn't do anything. Um, they had a school a, a cell phone policy that could not be implemented, didn't try to change that policy, just left it in place. A lot of what we're seeing is these students are using their cell phones to organize where to meet up for all different reasons, oh, whether yeah. it's to go film a fight. I've gotten videos about some of the fights in the last couple of weeks. Have lunch delivered. Um, yep. And so little <laughs> thing, like, at the high school. Yeah. 
Perfect. <laughs> Little things like that would have mm. made a difference back in November. It's very difficult to now put those in place. And, and my teachers truly, and, and all the members really, are going to struggle with enforcing something. Yes. They absolutely need something in place. Um, you know, is it the end all be all? No. But when we said something in November, we rang the bell yep. and nothing changed. But put it like this, Kevin, a lot of the discussions that are happening now, they usually happen in end of June, July, mm. August timeframe. It's preparedness and planning. So if you have to do that every three months, sure. you're never going to get off the ground. You're absolutely never going to get off the ground. We are always, and that's when in the November timeframe where we came together as a coalition, we have always been in attendance, whether we are there ourselves, there are other leaders in our group that may pick up the reins for us because it is taxing on our lives mm. sometimes. They'll be there. We're there on the remote sessions by Brockton Community Access. We're always there. We're always watching. Uh, it's just, it, now it's a matter of being invited to the group. And people might say, oh, they're the un that's the union group. That's all they care about is their collective bargaining contract. Mm. Absolutely not. 100% not. The three of us, as well as some other uh, sisters and brothers and the other bargaining units, we have more of a finger on the pulse than even some of our own school committee members. We just got a couple of minutes left here, but I want to at least get an idea of where, where do we go from here, Kim? We need Brenda Perez, our chief of police, involved with some type of security plan. We need the city to really look at our funding moving forward because from what we're hearing is FY25 is not looking good. But what does that mean? We cannot, and I say not very heavily, mm. suffer any more losses of staffing. But I, my understanding was this happened prior to COVID or just on the cusp of COVID. You had this this fantastic student opportunity act that was passed that mm. for the next seven years that there was going to be there was going to be funding and prosperity when it came to education. Rockton led the charge in that, right? So that is one of our our biggest questions for the city: is where is that money? It was supposed to be Ed Reform of ninety three, yeah, yes, correct, yes, yes. Just just wanted to double check. Absolutely, yeah, my facts were correct, and our state delegation was very key in passing that. Right. So they are asking a lot of questions as well now. Now, Kim touched on getting security policy up at the high school. The mayor did announce it, so thank you very much, Mayor Sullivan. There's going to be funding that's brought down from the governor's level in regards to security policy at the Brockton High School. Phenomenal. It's great to hear. But let's see it in action. That's right. Let's yep. let's see it in action. What I would love to do is we're wrapping this up. Depending on your time and your availability and how things change, I'd love to convene the three of you to kind of provide an update if it's positive, great. Let's come in and let's talk about, hey, things things are looking up and we're going to finish the year strong or, well, we gotta, we've we got another obstacle in the way that the track team's going to have to try to figure out a way over. So I want to I want to thank you uh, for coming here, Kim, Stacy, Joe. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you. And, thank you. and we'll, we'll definitely keep our eye out on what's going on and say prayers that things will find their way home one way or the other. You've been tuned in to Monday Night Talk here on 95.9 W. ATD, and we want to thank you for tuning in every week. Until next week at 6.15 p.m., have a great night.